0: Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this evening to the Gospel according to Luke, where we will be looking together at chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Luke 19, 28 through 40, you can find that passage beginning on page 1030 in your pew Bibles. We're gathered this evening on Good Friday, of course, to remember the death of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in order to do that tonight, I'm going to backtrack just a bit. And I want to point you towards the event of our Savior riding triumphantly into Jerusalem to accomplish His grand purpose in walking among us. So though it is indeed Good Friday, we are going to consider Good Friday and consider the crucifixion in light of what took place on what we Celebrate as Palm Sunday. And it is that day of the year when our memories are sort of stirred up by the very vivid picture which appears in all four of the Gospel accounts. It appears in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is of Jesus Christ and what we refer to as His triumphal entry into the great holy city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. It's a picture that reminds us that the ways of men are not not at all the ways of Almighty God. This is most certainly not the way in which our flesh, with its fallenness and its flair for the dramatic, would ever conjure this picture up. Jesus, of course, does not enter his city on the back of an oily, well-conditioned stallion. He has no golden chariot, no retinue of fierce, majestic-looking soldiers arrayed in steel and gold and brass, all of which, of course, would simply speak to the brilliant glory of their king. There's no leading procession of nobility, surrounding this king, demanding to be held in high esteem by these crowds. There are no flower petals being thrown into the path of this king as he rides into the city to reign as the mighty conqueror of sin, death, and the devil for all eternity. A conquering king the likes of which the world has never witnessed. He is not even so much as a weathered, well-worn leather saddle to sit upon. No, this scene really is quite different from what we would imagine, isn't it? This king is dressed in the ordinary clothing of a common man. In the place of a magnificent war horse, he's riding on the back of a colt, which in this case we are told is but the foal of a donkey. In the place of a splendid retinue of soldiers, we have a common ragtag group of his followers. There's nothing like nobility. There's no material wealth on display, no magnificent worldly kingdom represented here at all. No rose petals, no flowers lining the streets in front of him, only common palm branches and travel-worn clothing. No saddle, but in its place, this king, the king of kings, rode sitting upon the well-worn, weathered cloaks of his disciples. Beloved, we need to sort of pause and recognize this for what it is, because it really is a picture of almost incomprehensible humility. And yet, brothers and sisters in Christ, I would suggest to you, That what is going on here in the history of mankind as a particular moment in history really has very few equals in both glory and power. This event marks a very distinct shift in the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And all too often this event I think is completely misrepresented By the many misguided artists throughout the church's history. Those who would dare ignore the plethora of warnings in Scripture to not make representations of God and who have not truly thought through the full weight of this event. And so they see it as a picture of the frailty of Jesus Christ. They see it as a scene that is filled with such rank sappiness. That it really comes close to being almost pitiable, perhaps even pathetic, showing unadorned weakness. Beloved, have you ever laid eyes on any of these paintings? Jesus Christ is usually represented by just a handful of followers who are sort of yelling out his praises all the while he sort of hangs his head. Because he knows what awaits him in the city. The people of the city are usually represented as being very few in number. Who may give a curious glance towards this strange scene that's unfolding. But who have looks of casual indifference on their faces. Maybe even mild curiosity. In the church... The church of Jesus Christ looks on almost apologetically and says, yes, we know this scene at least appears to be a little bit pathetic. But we know that it's really not pathetic, and that's because we know what happens. We know, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So even though it looks weak, and it probably appeared weak, we know the outcome was not weak. And if you think that's what's going on here, beloved, I certainly hope to eradicate that picture from your minds this evening. First off, let me just say that this is no ordinary time in Jerusalem as Jesus enters the city. It's the week of Passover. The Passover celebration is in full swing, and Jews from all over the land have all made the journey and assembled there in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover. So we need to understand, these streets had to have been absolutely bustling with activity. There had to have been noise and people milling around during this time. And Jesus, of course, has no small following at this point in his ministry. We're not given anything like an exact number, but we have every reason to believe that this is a very large crowd that is pushing in and following the master into the city of Jerusalem. What I'm saying is Jesus did not slip in there quietly, unnoticed through the city gates. He has pricked the curiosity of many. And he has made his way towards Jerusalem teaching all of those people who flocked to him and who sat at his feet daily. He had worked many miracles. He really had caused quite a stir up to this point. The fact that he attracts the attention of the Pharisees from the midst of what is called here a crowd, speaks to the level of attention that Jesus is receiving here during this triumphal entry into the city. Beloved, this is a scene that is described in sacred scripture as absolutely radiating the power and the glory of Almighty God. You understand, this is the captain of, Of your salvation. Not just a king. This is the king of kings. Riding willingly into the place. Where he will purchase the redemption of his church. By spilling his own precious blood. And laying down his own brilliant life. In order to save his people from their sin once and for all. It really does mark a shift in his public ministry. Up until this point, we saw Jesus often withdrawing from the attention of the crowds and going off on his own to solitary places. Until now, Jesus had told all of those who were witnesses of the manifestations of his power, by and large, to tell no one what had been done for them. But now... As the King of Kings rides into what will be the very arena of our redemption, He calls the eyes of all men everywhere towards Himself. In order to behold the Lamb that walks willingly to the slaughter. To save sinners. Sinners, beloved, like you and me. The captain of our salvation rides towards final victory over sin, death, and the devil. And he does it with the eyes of all who were anywhere near him, locked upon him by the power of Almighty God. It's my hope to show you that this truly is a scene that has few rivals in the history of mankind, as the absolute power of Almighty God is displayed for all men to witness. So I'd like you to follow along as we read from the Gospel according to Luke. Again, chapter 19, I'll pick up with 28 and read through verse 40. Hear now the word of our Lord. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way, and they found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And As he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're thankful to have the opportunity this evening to look to the truth of your word. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit, clear our hearts and our minds of the many worldly things tugging at us for our attention. I pray, Father, we would be able to give our undivided attention to your word and hearing your word through the power of your spirit. I pray that we would be transformed for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned, really, this is a scene where the supernatural power of Almighty God is on full and glorious display. And one of the reasons we often miss it, I think, is because we confuse our own concept of earthly power with what we think should be God's. We find ourselves in our flesh wishing that Jesus could have just thundered into the city of Jerusalem with the gleam of his mighty sword flashing in the eyes of every man, woman, and child. Then the people would know who this really was. If only there could have been some magnificent display of earthly power and might, then they wouldn't be able to deny that truly this was the long-awaited, promised Messiah. Then the Pharisees would not even think about daring to question him as to the gall of this ragtag bunch of common people, openly blaspheming as they shouted out this to this common carpenter's son with praises which ought to have been reserved only for God. If only, if only, if only it were up to our sinful, fallen, vain imaginations to paint this picture for God. But beloved, I say to you that we see the power of God here in such force that it will either lead us to repentance and praise tonight, issuing from truly grateful hearts, or it will simply speak to our own condemnation as we refuse and neglect to see any of it. The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is, that I think is so evident here, is the revealing once again of the magnificent deity of Jesus Christ that's available to us here at the outset. It's displayed for these disciples as they listen to Jesus speak to them. It's displayed to us. As we read this very account of events leading up and including this entrance into the holy city of Jerusalem. You understand what's going on here. Jesus speaks to them with perfect knowledge. Knowledge that could only be possessed by God himself. Do you see that? Jesus explains to his disciples what they are to do as they prepare for their arrival in Jerusalem. And so he sends them to a village. And he tells them, Upon your arrival, you're going to find a colt tied there. You are to untie the colt. And when the owners of the colt come out and they begin to question you as to why it is that you're untying the colt, you're simply to tell them, The Lord has need of it. He gives them a detailed account of exactly what is going to transpire. Even to the point of explaining the question That will arise. And he tells them exactly how they're to respond to that question. He describes everything. That these men are going to see and hear. And he does it. With such confidence. That one is left thinking that the whole thing. Had to have been meticulously planned out beforehand. Right down to even the most minuscule detail. Jesus speaks here as one having perfect knowledge of the past, the present, and even the future. Do you notice that? He speaks as one who has ultimate authority over the entire creation. This is the one whom the disciples witnessed speaking but a word to the weather and the waves and seeing perfect, absolute obedience from nature itself. He speaks as one whose eyes are everywhere all the time, as one who sees both the things which are seen and the things which are unseen. The whole scene is described by Jesus as if he had already witnessed it and could relate every meticulous detail to these men. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he was beginning the preparations to enter into that arena of Redemption as the Son of God. He is beginning to prepare the hearts of his followers for the power of God that is going to be displayed as this king makes his way into his city. Do you see it? Jesus knew even the thoughts of men. He spoke to men their thoughts before they ever spoke a word about what was on their minds. He spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. And told her exactly what her life had been before she had ever made her sin public. He knows all things. and We see him here making that point to to his disciples. Giving them this very detailed, specific glimpse into the near future. To prepare them for the road that lay ahead. He knew those who would not believe before they ever, even in their own minds, rejected Him. He knew even the one who would betray Him into the hands of His enemies, before ever a word had passed between them. You say, well, we know this. Why point it out? I I want you to, this is the Son of God. This is God the Son, God incarnate the second person of the glorious Godhead which exists in Trinity and he knows all things. This is the Messiah, the King. As he prepares to make his way into his city, he's not going to be walking. We're told he's going to be riding as a king would. Even that fact speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ. This whole scene, right down to the exact type of animal. That the king of kings would actually sit upon is the exact fulfillment of the word of the prophet Zechariah. Speaking of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 9 of Zechariah's prophecy, we read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. You see it. This is the precise fulfillment of the promise of the word of God. This whole glorious scene was prophesied. It was promised to the people of God that it would unfold in exactly this way. It It was promised to the people of God. The promise of the Messiah King who would ride into the holy city amid the joyful shouts of his people. He would be perfectly just, righteous. As he rode into that arena of our redemption and entered the fray unblemished in the eyes of the law. There would be no ill way found in him. He would be blameless as he entered entered the end of his life with the salvation of our souls firmly secured in the grip of his omnipotent hand. God incarnate, God in flesh, rides into his city to make the most precious purchase that you or I or these followers of his on the road could possibly ever even dream of the salvation of our souls. The satisfying of God's righteous anger towards our sin through the only sacrifice that would or in fact could ever suffice. Beloved, we are here reminded that Jesus Christ, our King, was no mere man. He was God in flesh. And he knows all things. He knows what we do before we even think to do it. So I want to ask you, you know, we're in in the Easter season. I've heard a lot of talk about Passion Week and all of the things we think of this time of year. But is this the way in which you think of the God who reveals himself to us in the pages of his word? I want you to see it tonight, beloved. What? I want you to think about the implications of this. This is who Jesus said he was. This is how Jesus describes himself. And what do we need to know from that? Well, what you whisper in private to your companions is never unknown to God. What you say, what you do, what you think never escapes his notice. There is no privacy From the gaze of the all-seeing God. What you plot, what you scheme in your minds, in your hearts, is never hidden from him. And I'm not piling on. I'm guilty of all of those things, right? Well, what's the point in bringing it up? Because of what's going on here. Jesus is willingly walking into the arms of death to deal with. You understand? He knows even the hearts of men. And he'll die for them. This is no ordinary king. You you might deceive men your entire life. But you cannot and you will not deceive God. Beloved, does it terrify you to know and to see that God as God is truly omniscient? That he knows all things. Well, I want to tell you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you've been redeemed through the spilling of his blood, it ought to be a tremendous comfort to you. you understand? Even though Jesus knew then, even though he knows now the depths of wickedness that can come from our hearts, he rode into this city as the champion of your salvation and he willingly laid down his life in order to save your sinful soul from hell he forever he forever rid you of the terrors of sin death and the devil all the while knowing exactly what you are exactly what i am a sinner Beloved, I hope that's a comfort to you. I hope it causes joy to well up in your heart in the same way that it did here for these followers of Jesus. The master's gaze is always upon you. He's promised to never leave you or forsake you. He knows where you live. He knows your trials and your tribulations, your situations and circumstances. He knows your failures and thought, word and deed. Beloved, he knows the anxieties that weigh heavy upon your heart, even this evening in the house of God. He has perfect, watchful eyes. He has perfect, perceptive hearing. He sees all. He hears all. He perceives all. And the true child of God knows this. And by the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says to the king of kings exactly what Peter confessed. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Beloved, we can rest knowing that the one who truly knows our hearts owns them by the power of his redemptive work. The very work we remember this evening. This is no mere man entering just any city. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings, making his way towards the cross of Calvary. And he's doing it to purchase his bride, the church, for eternity. It's glorious. And it really should give us pause to stop and to look upon our great glorious king riding towards the event that no mere man could ever face, let alone endure perfectly to the very end. The second thing I would point out to you tonight is the shift of Jesus' ministry here at the end of his life. I know I already mentioned it at the outset. He had been removing himself from any type of spectacle up until this point. If you read through the gospel accounts, he would often retire away from the crowds. He would tell those who were healed or who had witnessed his, his power in a miraculous way to tell no one. But something changes here. As the Lord of the Lords rides into Jerusalem for what will be the final days of his earthly life. This scene is absolutely the opposite of what we have come to expect from Jesus before this time. Now, he is calling the eyes of men to himself. Do you notice that? This scene is a spectacle. This is not the kind of thing that would have gone almost entirely unnoticed except by a few. This was a chaotic scene. A scene that undoubtedly commanded the attention of all who were anywhere near to it. The streets of Jerusalem had to have been absolutely buzzing with activity. As travelers from all over the land made their way to the city to celebrate the Passover. The Pharisees are out among the crowds taking it all in, probably feeding on the praises of the crowd for them during preparations for this holy celebration. And then from the city gate come the loud clamor of hosannas ringing through the air. Can you imagine? As the crowds make their way towards the noise to see what all the commotion is about, they see Jesus of Nazareth riding on the back of a colt, riding like a king, entering his city with a throng of people all around him, throwing their cloaks and palm branches into the street before him, shouting out in praises, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest!" In other words, they are announcing the arrival of the Messiah, the promised king, into his holy city. And they are raising their voices saying, in effect, Jerusalem, here is your king. Lift your voices. Worship your king. Reserve has been completely thrown aside. Jesus is drawing the eyes of men everywhere to himself as he comes to finish the work that he came to accomplish. So we have to grasp the weight of this moment. This is the promised seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent and that serpent's head is about to be crushed for eternity. He's no longer in any way veiling his identity. He's being announced as the champion entering the ring of the final battle. The battle of all battles. Where there is no doubt that he will emerge the victor over sin, death, and the devil. This is the beginning of that pinnacle moment in all of human history. The Messiah has arrived to make things right. To reconcile. The lost sheep of Israel. The time had come. The ransom was due and it was about to be paid in full. And the glory and the power of this moment ought to stagger us. You understand why I'm saying this is not the kind of thing that is done in a corner tucked away from the eyes of mankind. It is center stage in the holy city of Jerusalem itself. By the power of God, the eyes of these weak, feeble, desperate followers of Jesus Christ have been opened to just barely glimpse what it was that they were witnessing. And the effect was immediate. They could not stop singing his praises. Their hearts are full, and so they do what they must, and they worship. The daughters of Zion are shouting. The daughters of Jerusalem are crying out. All of creation itself is shouting to the praise of his glorious name. And as the self-righteous Pharisees sort of muscle their way through this crowd, wrinkling their splendid robes against all of this riffraff to try and put an end to this tumult, this trouble in the city. They make their way to Jesus and they demand that he put a stop to the blasphemous cries of his followers. And as if to just accentuate the glory of what is going on, Take note of how Jesus answers these men. Have you ever thought about it? He looks at them and he says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the moment that the entire world the universe and everything in it has collectively been craning its neck towards in an anticipation of the redemption of the sons and daughters of God. The Pharisees were blinded by the hardness of their hearts and they could not see what was actually going on all around them. And it was because they were self-satisfied. Being self-satisfied, they were blind to their own spiritual poverty. And Jesus lets them in on the fact that this is bigger than them. That all of creation was witnessing the power of God to such an extent that if somehow the mouths of his followers were shut and rendered mute, the creation itself would burst forth in praise Of the King of Kings. The very stones would sing his praises. Beloved, can you get a sense of the joy, the unfettered joy that these disciples and all of those following Jesus Christ had to have experienced that day? Just a glimpse. Just a peek into the nature of what it was that they were actually witnessing. Such glory, such joy coming from the lips of men who truly only had a very hazy idea of what was about to transpire. Even the disciples, those men who had spent intimate moments at the feet of the master who had followed him long and far, had been told exactly what to expect, what truly awaited Jesus Christ in that city, even they did not see the full extent of what was going on yet. But by the power of God, for a moment in time, they collectively made a joyful noise, and they called on the eyes of all mankind to behold the Lamb of God. The great shepherd of the sheep, Walking to the slaughter to lay down his life for the lives of his beloved sheep. Beloved, let me ask you something. How much more should you and I be filled with the praises of Jesus Christ on this side of the glorious resurrection and ascension of our Lord to the right hand of the Father? How much louder should our praises be, even this evening, as we consider the Christ who has revealed himself to us? Much more than a glimpse. How much sweeter should our praises be? We who know exactly why he entered that city and exactly how he triumphed over the grave. Do you see the power of this moment in history, this entry of the glorious king to purchase the true inhabitants of his holy city for himself, for eternity? Do you know this Jesus? Have you glimpsed this glory? Beloved, I want to close tonight reminding you exactly who this man riding on the back of a foal of a donkey that day was from the pages of sacred scripture. And I trust that these words will be a source of comfort and strength to you not only this evening, but every day of your life as you consider this king riding into this city and power and glory and what your response to him ought indeed to truly be. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, as I close. Because he describes... The absolute glory of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, in this way. Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, this is the king who rode into the arena of our redemption in the holy city of Jerusalem that day. He was certainly not hiding. He was most definitely not hanging his head. As he walked willingly into the final battle to defeat death for us, to remove its horrible sting once and for all, he is a king of power and glory and majesty and unthinkable might and strength. He truly is the captain of our salvation and he loves to hear the praises of his servants. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us praise him as such this evening. Amen. Let's pray.